Hi everybody, it's Joey Remini here from seekingbalance.com.au and I'm really excited to speak with Ali Dreiser. So welcome, Ali. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. And today we're talking about something that is so universally common to all of us, both men and women alike, about body image and learning to feel safe in our bodies. So Ali Dreiser from alidreiser.com is a woman's embodiment coach. And for those of you out there who know about my work, I'm very much about embodying what you want to feel. So rather than getting caught up in in running away from dizziness or tinnitus or vertigo or whatever it is that is not feeling good, to shift from that mindset of avoiding and running away and actually drop into the heart of what do I want to feel. So if I want to feel steady, calm, at ease or at peace, I need to embody that, feel it so I can grow those neurons and use neuroplasticity to get my body to reshape itself. So Ali is working in a really beautiful way as a women's embodiment coach. And she's originally from New York in the US and now we've met Crossing Paths in Australia. So Australia is quite lucky to have you, aren't they, Ali? Oh, thank you. <laughs> so I was wondering, do you want to just bring a little bit of what brought you into this embodiment work and your, your journey, I suppose, of learning to love what you're living in? Yes, absolutely. Um, I think I'm pretty much like most, you know, privileged Westerners where I grew up in like a, you know, nice environment, went to school, got a job, and um, everything seemed to be going well and smooth and normally. Um, But uh, I was always so uncomfortable in my body. It just felt like it was something that I had to hate. And, And it was like, it was like all my friends felt the same way. My mom felt the same way, you know, all my aunts, like it was just, it felt like it was just normal part of everyday life. Um, and I remember, gosh, at one point in my 20s, like just after having gone through years of being uh, so hard on myself, on my body and um, binging and and going through all kinds of eating disorders and being addicted to laxatives for like over a decade and wow. just all these things that, that I really thought were normal because I saw them in my environment. Um, there was this moment when I was like, that's it. Like I've had enough, you know, and, and I, and I kind of woke up to, um, how I was really mistreating my vessel, mistreating my body. And, mm-hmm. and just cause it was normal culturally, it didn't mean it was right for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of what, um, what got me into this sort of this, I like it was almost like I could peek behind a veil and be like, Oh wait, I think there's a possibility of me actually feeling good in my body. Like, I think that can happen. And, and so that's, that's what brought me into it. And it's so possible. Wow. Like, thank yeah. God. <laughs> I know. And it's, what you were talking about also reminds me of this lineage work. So I think mm. science is learning to catch up with this idea of inherited trauma, that things mm. that have happened to our grandparents and great grandparents, and it's been passed down through role modeling and behaviors and habits and languaging These are things Mm -hmm. that we are subconsciously picking up through our own parents. And it's just such a beautiful point in time when we can stop and say, you know what, that doesn't work for me. And I Mm want to view life differently. And I want to pass on a different philosophy and cultural role modeling to my children. And this, this idea of normal, like with all due respect, what is normal? 
And mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. And so there's this piece of waking up and becoming conscious. Do you want to speak to that and how you, congratulations on getting there. Like how did that happen for Ali? Yeah. Um, yeah. I really want to yeah, echo like you were saying about the lineage first mm-hmm. and, and how powerful it is for us to choose. Okay. Mm-hmm. This piece doesn't work for me anymore. I'm going to move through it and heal that. And then how beautiful it is that it actually heals behind you. Like yeah. I've seen, I've seen a positive impact on my mom. I can feel it energetically impacting my lineage and like how beautiful is that too? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the consciousness shift was actually just seeing other people enjoying their bodies, like knowing that it was possible and, and seeing like, especially one of my mentors, who's a cousin actually, um, her feeling so happy in her body and regardless of what shape or size, cause it, it would change, you know, as most people's bodies do through, you know, pregnancy or age or whatever. So um, beautiful. and just, yeah. And just to see, like to have that modeled for me and then thank God she was actually interested in this work and teaching other people. So I got to learn from her. Um, so I really feel like, yeah, like, you know, for those people listening and watching, like seeing, you know, is there one person in your field? Is there someone in your circles, your social circles that who models this like feeling good? Yeah. And, you know, like, I find it so beneficial to just ask them questions, spend time with them, learn from yes. them, you know? Yes. The, yeah. we are the res- we're the net result of the people we spend time with. So if yeah. we're spending time with people who are really uncomfortable in their body and they'll, they'll speak about themselves with that kind of disrespectful language, mm. the I can't mm. language or I'm too fat or I don't earn enough money language, my body's mm. let me down that actually becomes a lot of the languaging that our brain is processing and we begin to take some of that on. And the other piece I want to bring up that's a really great, powerful take home is notice people you're envious of because Mm, often when you're envious of people, that's actually your guiding light. They're people you want to role model. They're people you want to be like. So they're giving you this juicy clue as to what your in the direction you really desire to head in and giving yourself permission to go, wow, I want that for me. And then Mm -hmm. stepping into an action plan and saying, how can I make that a reality? Like that's powerful. So, so shifting envy and jealousy from being that space of like, it's a yucky feeling when you're jealous of people, but when you sort of go, Oh my God, thank you. Because you've just taught me more about me. That's when it shifts and I find that piece sometimes people can skip over. It's like quite subtle, but yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's really nice. That. Yeah. Really nice. You had that in a cousin. So lucky. So, so lucky. Yeah. So in your work as an embodiment coach, you can either mm-hmm. speak about this personally or as um, through clients that you've observed, but what mm-hmm. are some common emotions that they're feeling and maybe behavioral habits and patterns that grow out of that? Mm. Yeah. So I think one big defining feature is um, many of my clients are very, and myself, very sensitive, very perceptive, Mm -hmm. very smart. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, oftentimes what happens when people, um, people who are very perceptive are very, when they're young, 
um, maybe they see things that don't really align with what the adults want them to see. And so they might get shot down or they might get discredited or invalidated and then mistrust their own perceptive abilities, which then um, translates to mistrusting their bodies, intuitive mm -hmm. eating cycles. And, um, and that can result in um, food management. Um, and, and food management can then perpetuate eating disorders and binge eating and all kind of disconnection from the body. And so, um, I tend to, I tend to attract and work with very cerebral people. Um, cause especially cerebral people, people, intellectuals and things like that, they, it's so, it's so much fun to live up here. It's like, oh my gosh, my brain is so interesting. And there's so many things I can, you know, think up and imagine and calculate and analyze. Um, and so dropping into the body can be very foreign, you know, and um, a couple just, you know, basic behavioral um, indications might be, you know, yeah, lots of thinking. Um, it very might be very common yes. in vertigo and some of these clients too. It's like, mm. you know, there's so much going on in their world and what they're feeling and perceiving mm. that is not validated by others because it's invisible. Totally. People can look fantastic, totally. put the red lipstick on and you look amazing, but it's like you feel mm. rocking or spinning or not quite right, astronaut type feelings. It's mm -hmm. really frustrating that it's like people say, like, Joey, am I going crazy? And I'm like, no, it's just that your sensations are invisible to others. Yeah. So, yep. Yep. yeah, so overthinking, yeah. something I'm sure lots of people listening can relate to that. Totally. Thinking or, you know, applying overthinking and analyzing to what you've eaten. So if you're like going through at the end of the day, checking, counting calories, um, <clears throat> just checking what you've eaten and, and make, making it mean something about you. So like, oh God, I had that cookie. I'm so horrible. You know, making it mean something like you, it has a significance what you ate in terms of your own value. Yeah. Um, weighing yourself, um, yeah, like judging yourself, like feeling guilty after you've eaten. Go would ahead. you say documenting symptoms too? So I think mm. that would be an equivalent because some of my clients are certainly concerned about weight, absolutely. But some of mm -hmm. them, rather than getting on the scale, they're actually documenting on a calendar like how often they feel this abnormal thing. And so they're, mm. they're really checking in on it all the time. And they're like, oh, well, I had this glass of wine. And then four days later, I felt mm. dizzy. Is that connected? And it's like, well, mm. not yeah, really I'm not sure. Yeah, I like that. That's definitely, that's not something I've seen in my clients who struggle with emotional eating and body image. But that, um, yeah, I can understand how that would be sort of a manifestation of disconnection from the body on some level. The parallel, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I, I wanted to just highlight um, the last thing I said, which is feeling guilty after eating, um, yeah. which is, which is a real strong indication that, um, that there is, there is space to feel space to not feel guilty. There's space to actually really the fact that you just had a big meal and you're alive and your body knows exactly what to do with it. So um, enjoy the process of eating beginning exactly. middle and end <laughs> exactly what and it's so it's go ahead i was gonna say what about shame does shame come into it yeah absolutely oh my gosh shame is a big piece so like not only shame around you know um what you've eaten necessarily but also shame of the mirror shame of mm -hmm. not fitting into the size of clothes you want to fit into 
Um, and I've also witnessed in myself and a lot of clients I've worked with, there's a sexual element um, of you know, the shame around sexuality that can often perpetuate emotional eating, um, negative body image, or gaining weight as a, as a form of protection. Yeah. And do you want to speak a little bit about, um, it's actually similar in the sensory impairment clients. Sometimes when, mm-hmm. when you go into deep into what they're feeling and it'll be like, when did you first feel this? And it can go back to a, a sexual misunderstanding. Um, mm-hmm. So not always, but sometimes there is this feeling of not feeling safe in their body. And that could have been triggered as a misunderstanding, you know, as an adolescent or something when they, felt they were wronged in their body or forced or pushed or rushed. Not always mm-hmm. in an abusive context, actually, but just some little um, cerebral misunderstanding or deep body misunderstanding. Totally. Uh, yeah. And so I think this idea of viewing us as whole people, like we're not just our ears and we're not just our digestive tract. You know, there mm-hmm. is a healthy sexuality and sensuality that every single human being deserves and can step into. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. sometimes those conversations are really lacking in our healing process. It's intimacy and intimacy with ourselves for our mm-hmm. own pleasure, you know, yes. not involving another human. So Totally. Yeah. And the safety that's required in order to experience that, right? That's one huge piece that I have felt personally in my life has mm-hmm. led to a lot of miscommunications mm-hmm. is not really being um, fully vocal about my boundaries or, or physical about my boundaries, like pushing away when I needed to or speaking when I needed to and not understanding that a boundary is basically what is okay versus what is not okay. Like that's the boundary. That's it. And it doesn't, you don't have to like make a story Sarah, about it. You don't have to explain it. And it right? doesn't need to be in the brain. Like, you know, that concept of mm-hmm. a whole body. Yes. It's like every yeah. piece of me right now is saying yes. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I remember one of my colleagues said, you know, if it's not a whole body, yes. And you're not really feeling that yes with all of your openness and your muscles and like mm-hmm. a softening. If it's not a whole body, yes, then it's a no. It's like two options, yeah. a yes mm-hmm. or a no. And I love that learning to tune into that body. Mm-hmm. Yes. And body. No. Yep. So far. And I'm sure people listening are going, Joey, what are you talking about? Do you have <laughs> any little, um, maybe things we could walk the listeners through now, which would be like more somatic and getting people into localizing what they're feeling in the body and some of that mm. body talk. Do you, do you feel like you want to role model some of that now at all? Sure. I actually have an exercise that um, really piggybacks what you were just saying around full mm-hmm. body. Yes. Um, so this is about, this is one, before I get into the exercise, I kind of just want to overview like, what it is that I do, which sounds very similar to you, which is um, I work with women one-on-one to help them reconnect with their bodies, learn to love themselves, learn to honor their vessels and, mm-hmm. and realign with their natural rhythms, their natural hunger rhythms, their sleep rhythms, their moon cycles, and just get like back into what it actually means to be a wild, natural human. An animal um, desire. An animal. Yeah. And, and, um, and so you know, it's very different for every person, but mm-hmm. one of the most foundational elements is really about relaxing, relaxing mm-hmm. enough to feel safe in this mm-hmm. vessel to like bring the attention and the energy down from the head and into the body and just yeah. get curious with what's there. Right. Yeah. And, um, and so 
you know, and, and it's funny, like when I first started doing this, A, I was like, what the hell is this? This is stupid, you know, because I was all analytical. Yeah. And then B, every time I would feel something, it was either super subtle and like bit like a whisper mm-hmm. or it was super overwhelming and I, I like didn't know how to know. And yeah. so that's why it's so helpful to work with people like not to like promote ourselves, but I'm just, or we're like my cousin who can help interpret signals those little whispers or help hold space when you're like oh my gosh I'm re-experiencing this trauma and my whole body is shaking and like you know help you know soften into that and also to support support the brain to Mm re-understand that it's basically a traumatic memory pathway but we're not in Mm -hmm. trauma anymore so if we update it to 2018 it can the adult part of our brain can say oh well, it's really normal that that memory is there, so there's no judgment. But we don't actually yeah. need that anymore because we've grown out of it, and now we're safe. Yeah. And to sit through and feel through that conversation takes heaps of safety and mm. supportive skills and tools, so the body can reset itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. And there's like this also this piece that I love to hand to my or help my clients develop in themselves, which is to mother themselves through that process. So I kind of show up as this sort of mother role of holding them in the space, but then to, yeah, to kind of soothe themselves and recognize, oh, I'm here now. Here we are in 2018. I'm here. And, um, and it almost helps them bring, you know, into that present moment with that compassion and and that tenderness that they need. Um, So, so yeah, so that's, Well, I just want to go that next step to say the contrast to that bit to that would be when we feel either something subtle and we ignore it, suppress it or like, go, oh, it's nothing. So we're, we're disconnecting from the subtle of what we're feeling and it's not being validated Mm -hmm. for ourselves. Or we feel something very overwhelming, which could be shame or guilt or panic. And rather than sit through it and center and self support and go deeper into loving ourselves. Mm-hmm. we abandon ourselves and we disconnect mm-hmm. and we go, that's too much. I don't know how to deal with it. And I feel so crappy. I'm going to go to the fridge and get something. So we, we go for another totally. route. And I just wanted totally. to try and yeah, contrast the two. So one is you stay with it and you lean in and open up and you go for heaps of support, not only in yourself, but also potentially in your support team around you, mm-hmm. which, which could be this embodiment type work we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And that does not mean you have to talk about your trauma. This is not talking about what happened to you 25 years ago and really going through the talk, talk, talk. That's very different to what we're talking about here. We're talking about feeling into 2018 and nurturing what's showing up in 2018 in a way Mm -hmm. that really brings forth consciousness, wisdom, and respect. So I wanted to just clarify that, but yeah, go ahead. Mm -hmm. I love that. And we will get to the exercise. I just want to (laughs) respond to that as well, that um, it's like, it can be uncomfortable and I want to just normalize that, you know, Mm -hmm. like I went, like I was just talking to you before this, um, Mm-hmm. this show I was talking to you about how I was in talk therapy for years and it was helpful. Like I figured some stuff out, but it wasn't what I needed to land in my body. It wasn't what I needed to overcome the addictive um, relationship I had with food and, and mm-hmm. you know, body discomfort, shame, whatever. And, and it was, you know, it was through being 
like being willing to be so uncomfortable to feel things Mm. that I was able to overcome my relationship with food. And now it's just so instinctual and natural. I don't even think about it, you know? And, Mm. um, and so, yeah, it was breaking an addiction. Exactly. And so, um, yeah, so I just wanted to say that. Um, but okay, so to this exercise. Um, <laughs> Do it. Okay, great. So um, this exercise works really well if you bring to mind a decision, a decision, a, a choice with two options. Mm-hmm. So some decision you have to make, whether it's like, oh, should I go to that party tonight or not? Or, oh, should I marry this person or not? You know, it doesn't matter. <laughs> just a minor detail. <laughs> maybe maybe should I have that glass of red wine or not should I give myself permission to enjoy a glass of wine instead of you know denying myself those little pleasures or you know totally anything should I should I go on Facebook right now should I um that's a good one should I keep keep searching for answers from more doctors and get more second third Mm. or fourth opinions am I still chasing that's a good one. Love that. That's a great one. Yes. Okay. Why so let's do that. that as the example, because that's really relevant to a lot of the people listening. So do I need Perfect. another medical opinion? Do I need another medical opinion? Oh, beautiful. Okay. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask everyone watching and listening to just take a moment and close your eyes. <sighs> yeah. Yes. Just connect. Noticing where your seat is meeting the chair or your feet are meeting the ground or your head is meeting the pillow, whatever it is that's supporting you, just take connect to that mm. surface with your body and seeing if maybe you can let that surface support your body a little bit so your body can support itself a little bit less and just melting in. Just feeling what it's like to be here means even if it's super uncomfortable or feels so delightful. Mm -hmm. And just bringing your attention and awareness to your heart. And if that means placing a hand there or just noticing how it feels there, whatever works for you to just bring your attention to your heart space. And then I want you to bring to mind one of the options of this, of this choice. So let's just say, yes. Okay. One option is yes. I do need more medical advice. I do need more medical information. Just notice as you mull that possibility of looking for more information in your mind, how your heart responds. Notice if it feels sort of um, tight and closed and cold, or if it feels wide and expansive and warm or neither, just notice the sort of like the imprint that this thought has on your heart. Could be tiny and subtle or it could be massive or anywhere in between. So just bringing to mind, yes, I do need more medical information. Noticing how your heart feels and then taking a breath to cleanse that out of your mind and your body. (sighs) And then bringing to mind the other side of the the choice the other option which is i don't actually need more medical information right now and just feeling that in your heart noticing whether it feels warm and wide or whether it feels tight and small 
no, I don't need more information. Just noticing how your heart responds to that and then taking a breath and cleansing that from your system and just sort of with your eyes closed for a moment, comparing the two in, in how your heart responded, like which one felt a little bit tighter and which one felt a little bit more warm or, or massively more warm and wide. And most likely the one that felt warm and wide is the, is the one to follow. So, mm, could could I speak to that a little? Mm-hmm. I've just had for those of you who know me, <clears throat> excuse me. I've just been at the ophthalmologist, the eye specialist for my eye. I have a cut in my eye, and it happened twelve months ago with a surfing accident. <clears throat> and intuitively, I haven't felt okay with the diagnostic process. It keeps on coming back, and I'm like, why is my eye still bugging me? Like if it cut it surely it heals and then you just get on with life and I went some of the I had to go to the hospital at one point and I had three days of blindness at one point where I had to have thick yoga blankets over my head and just no light at all it was really confronting and I had an autoimmune syndrome diagnosed with this the middle of my eyeball attacking itself anyway so I was very patiently listening and watching my body and it got to a point where I actually texted my GP because I have a nice relationship with her and said, look, I think I need a referral to the ophthalmologist. You know, it's flaring up again. I need an opinion. And in my mind, I was thinking if my body is attacking itself, I want to learn what I can do about that. Like I want to learn about my eyeball. I want to empower myself to get my questions answered at the best of the best. And then, you know, figure my things out. So I was researching and um, anyway, I've just had that done He's given me a lot of really useful information about um, erosion syndrome of the eyeball, which means at nighttime, my eyelid actually um, adheres to my eyeball. It gets stuck. And then as I open my eyes in the morning, it re-tears open the front of the eye. So Mm. so every day you're potentially getting a bit of healing and then a bit of tearing and a bit of healing and a bit of tearing. Mm. It made a lot of sense to me why it kept on flaring up and down and having good moments and difficult moments. And as I did that exercise with you just now, I felt like around my shoulders felt a little tight and maybe my heart pounding a bit faster at the, yes, I need more medical advice because mm. I've already done 12 months of that. And I feel yeah. quite comfortable with my recent diagnosis and the, the process I'm in that when it said, no, I don't need any more medical advice. I really felt particularly here, a vertical release in my shoulders, like it dropped mm. And I could still feel my heart pounding, but there was less, there was more space. There was less like contraction and more openness. And I thought, yeah, I'm quite comfortable where I'm at with my eye journey at the moment. I'm not seeking answers. I'm like in a process of healing and understanding. Yeah. Does that make sense? So that was really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, so I, I, for those of you who are listening, if you're in a process of going, I need support and I don't know where and I don't know how, I want you to know that you are the expert in your body. Mm. No specialist on the planet can feel what you feel. In fact, no lover, mm-hmm. no partner, no child, no teacher, no one. It's your special inner world and there is a physical, mental, emotional, spiritual aspect to what you feel as you connect into yourself. And a huge part of feeling and healing 
is going beyond diagnosis, beyond what all the doctors and experts have to say and all the MRIs and CTs and blood tests, etc., and hormones and uh, neuro, um, depression and anxiety kind of tests. Beyond that, you need to step into being the expert in your own healing. And what I mean by that is whatever you feel is real and whatever you feel is coming to you and asking for something. So as you learn to listen and give that support, your healing will honestly move in a completely different direction and different pace. So if you feel stuck right now and you're searching out there, I just encourage you to know that once you're finished searching and you relax into feeling, supporting and healing as your own expert, things are going to be different. Like I just really want to paint that picture. It's possible and there's no rush. You know, we get it. Both Ali and I have been on the journey of searching and you know, shifting into healing is a different process. And when you're ready for that, you will know, and we've got resources for you. Like people like us help you through that process. Mm. Yeah. I love that. I really, really love that. And I love how you're honoring the medical system, which is so incredible. So important. Yeah. And honoring our own intuitive medical system, our own inner doctor. Like we've got it. You know, we have, we've got, and yeah, the more I do this work, the more astounded I am at my ability to actually feel what's Mm. happening in my body. Like I'm pregnant right now and I, I knew it the moment it happened, not because I took a test, not because, you know, I got a diag, like a, not diagnosis, like a, a, you know, some word from a doctor, but because confirmation, I just felt it. You know, and that's the depth, that's the sensitivity we can, we can, and the relationship we can build with our bodies um, to the point where we know exactly what's happening when we go to the doctor or we can, or not necessarily exactly what's happening, but we can, we can offer our own internal world, which they can't, they can try to measure and they do a great job measuring and scanning and discerning. But like, if we bring our own internal experience to the table, it's like we get a 3D holographic you know, medical, you know, analysis versus this sort of just outward coming in, poking and prodding type of thing. Yeah. And like coming back to the eyeball thing, like there was a part of me that doesn't like the medical world and doesn't like medicines. And, you know, that's since I'm a little girl, I've had lots of asthma and hormonal imbalances and doctors throwing things on me. Right. So I'm not as open to it as I think I want to be, or like maybe I'm in a better place now, but I, I kind of, I could have sat on that eyeball thing knowing it wasn't quite right and just trying to be gentle with the healing in my own way and ignore the medical system. But the consequences of that could be that I need really invasive surgery on my eyeball to replace the covering of the eye that has eroded, right? Mm -hmm. Because I I knew Mm -hmm. intuitively something wasn't right, but what did I do about it? Like if I don't go out and get an eyeball specialist to support me to heal that, I'm actually disrespecting myself. Yeah. So it's this idea of actually working the hybrid model of saying you're an eyeball specialist and I'm not. So I'm just telling you this doesn't feel right. Can you give me more information on that? So it's this totally. idea of having a bit of humble pie and saying, I know this bit, but you're the expert in that bit. And then at right. the same time, if there's a vertigo and tinnitus, you can't go to an inner ear specialist or, an, or a neurologist and say, get rid of my feelings. Like, that's not their expertise. 
They can tell you if your brain's healthy, if the pathways between your ears, your eyes, and your midbrain are healthy. They can tell you if your balance canals and your eardrum and your middle ear are healthy. They can give you mechanical, valuable information. They can't remove mm -hmm. your feelings. So it's like mm -hmm. just making sure you're asking the right questions to the right people. Mm -hmm. And I think that relieves yeah. a lot of anxiety and disappointment and disillusionment because, mm -hmm. yeah, I really do respect the medical doctors at their ex, like in those pockets of knowledge, they are highly trained, you know? So, yeah. 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 And how cool that you could go like that you're in tune enough with your body to be able to recognize when it was time to go see one, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. And I'm really pleased I did that. So fingers crossed yeah. it all heals up well, but you know, I'm, I'm being looked at now and I'm getting, um, mm -hmm. it's really reaffirming when you can have a specialist look at the eyeball and say, yep, it's not macular degeneration. It's not this, it's not that. Like they can just explain the mechanics. It's really, really a fascinating and B reassuring. So totally. And I guess with the digestion stuff, we might end mm -hmm. the call soon, but would you mind speaking a bit about irritable bowel syndrome and the, the, the link oh. of, of like anxiety and like loose motions or diarrhea, you know, when people are experiencing <sighs> anxiety, I, I imagine you would work with that yeah. a bit, but do you? Well, I can speak from personal experience. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. A lot of people with vertigo get the runs or get digestive upset mm -hmm. because the body's mm -hmm. going, well, something's not right. And it's shifting into that like purge mode. Do you want to speak to that a little? Whew, yeah, and that's not something I personally have experience with necessarily, but I can speak to um, just who, like, okay, so we did an exercise in the heart space, mm -hmm. which is like so beautiful. And the heart I find mm -hmm. is like a, can be a really beautiful guidance compass to show mm -hmm. us in which direction will we grow the most. Mm -hmm. um, and and the belly is like, oh my gosh, it is so intelligent. We can also do the same exact thing with our belly. Mm -hmm. um, and the answers I've found when I do it with my belly might be a little more complex. We might not just get like a what's more spacious, what's less spacious. It might be like, why am I seeing a purple swirling tornado? You know, like various <laughs> things can appear in the belly. Um, it's just so complex and it's so, it's there's so like many nerves. Yeah. They say it's like a second brain. It's yeah. really incredible. Um, and I, I had, I was born into a beautiful family, wonderful parents, um, really supportive upbringing, but I was really anxious. I was a really anxious kid. I would, you know, my, I was just like very anal retentive. I was just like constantly constipated and it's not like there was something wrong with me it, it, or like wrong with my bowels or anything. I was just, I didn't know how to process I didn't know how to feel like, yeah. I didn't know how to feel like, yeah, like here on the planet and like, okay, in my body, it was, I was constantly just wanting to like leave. And, um, and so I remember, and so I got addicted to laxatives first as just a way to kind of like facilitate, um, movement, but then as a way to like lose weight. Yeah. That was my, that was my intention. Um, but then it became just a necessity. Like I just couldn't go without it. And so, um, it it took for me this beautiful experience of living in the Costa Rican jungle for a month where I was just wow. like was so deeply connected to the earth so connected to the monkeys and the skunks and the lizards and like the ants like I was just and the, you're talking to like a New York City you know 
<laughs> girl. And I, and the first couple of weeks I was just in terror. I was like, some Jaguar is going to kill me. You know, I'm going to get bit. scorpion. I was just, I was convinced I was going to die in the jungle. And after a few weeks, like, like just being so held and like having ants crawl over me and skunks eating my underwear and like just being like living literally outside in the woods. Um, I felt so deeply connected to the earth that I like, I like finally landed here. And I feel like that's a big piece of our relationship with to our bowels and to our intestines, at least for me and some of the clients I've worked with is like, just like being okay to be human, being okay to be on the planet, being okay to be in the mud and the dirt and the poop, like being okay to like, just be an animal has um has really shifted that relationship for me yeah Yeah. and we mentioned right at the start like doing a full circle in our conversation being a high sensitive person and sometimes we call that hsp and i'm one of those as well so you know welcome to the club Uh, (laughs) we especially as children we can feel very sensitive to things even glare from windows or air quality or, you know, moving quickly or, um, you know, I, I, rem- I remember as a teenager, it was like, why can some of my friends like go shopping all day, then go to the cinema, then go for dinner and they just go, go, go. Right. And I'm like, whoa, mm-hmm. just one of those things. And I'm spent. I'm like, I need to retreat. <clears throat> and it's, it's actually, it's not an abnormality. It's just that the way sensitive people process the world means they're taking in so much data. They need time for the brain to consolidate and organize it. So we need more quiet time. We need more sleep. We need more stillness in our lives. And about one in five people are high sensitive. But if you grow up in a world that's 80% not high sensitive, it just means that what you're seeing and feeling is not validated by potentially your parents or your brothers and sisters or your peers. So as Ali said, you can be feeling things, but because no one else is feeling it, you then mistrust yourself and you begin this doubt cycle. Now, self-doubt is one of the triggers for nausea and purging and digestive upset. So that can move in a constipation way or in a nauseated vomit way or in a diarrhea way. Mm. And my understanding is that we were cave men and women and we used to collect lots of berries and eat meats and have no refrigerators. So we had food poisoning, you know, probably much more frequently than in today's world. So Mm. when the body felt something wasn't quite right, it was doubting some of the nuts and berries we'd collected. It would prepare to purge that food poisoning. Mm-hmm. So it's a survival mechanism that we were purging for mm-hmm. safety. Um, so, yeah, I just wanted to speak to this idea of feeling safe with who you are and what you feel and giving yourself permission to be you and to be different to the people around you. This self-acceptance piece, I think, is just fundamental to healing. So it's like backing yourself. Going, I feel this, no one else can feel it, and that's okay. For me, it's real. Totally. And I'm going to totally. be and one, Yeah, and to, one of the most common social things that we all do is eat together. And so, mm, when, yeah. you know, and so when you're in a space with food and you're like, I don't want that, or I really want to eat all of that, or whatever, and, and, and it doesn't, it's not consistent with what's culturally acceptable or what other people are doing, that can also be really challenging for a lot of people, you know? And one of the things I I work with people to do is like, if they go to a restaurant with friends and they're not hungry, like you don't have to eat, you know? That's something that's like, that was revolutionary for me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I mean, I I do think everybody will have had 
pieces of shame and guilt around food at some point in time. I remember Mm -hmm. some significant moments for me was being at a girl's high school. Oh my God, body image issues are just everywhere. And when I was 15, I used to run every day. I did like three kilometers or something. It was part of my daily, you know, thing. And I remember I ate like a little chocolate freckle. It's a tiny little chocolate freckle in Australia. You can get them at like lolly shops. And I might've had Mm -hmm. a couple of them. And then I punished myself by saying, all right, I've had this chocolate, tiny amount of chocolate. Now I have to run five kilometers. And it was in that, like watching myself do that, that I realized I didn't, I was not forming healthy relationships or healthy treatment of myself. And so I was 15. And at that point in time, I started recognizing anorexic behaviors and bulimic behaviors and consciously choosing not to go into it, like Mm. not to play the game, not to compete with others, just to really love myself. And if I Mm. ate that chocolate to enjoy it rather than punish myself. Mm. And I think, I think I was really lucky to have that realization in my teen years because we were definitely all borderlining on eating disorders, like collectively as a class. Yep almost yeah. a rite of passage for girls these days. It's yeah. horrific. Yeah. Um, and then there was another piece. So fast forward, so that's 15. And probably then when I got to my early 30s, I remember looking in the mirror one day and just being like, there is a beautiful human being there. Like I could see mm. a beautiful person. And it was just like, mm. I've never seen myself as beautiful before. And it was mm. like something shifted that I was just really humanizing what I saw rather than judging yep and I remember thinking wow I think this is a really big thing like something shifted Mm -hmm. in me and uh yeah and like once you've had it Mm -hmm. once you can lose it and then you know you can get it again so it's like the the self-kindness and self-love you go in and out I think that's normal wouldn't you say Oh, big time. You have to have, you know, the opposite in order to understand what you have. So absolutely. Yeah, the self-hatred yeah. in order to go the self-love route. Yeah. Right. Yeah, <laughs> totally. But I also just feel like it's such a gift that you have to not conform. Like the fact that you were able to see and witness that you had, you were picking up on the, on the sort of collective anorexic eating disorder mm. mentality, which I went to an all girls school and we had that as well. Mm. Um, the fact that you could pick up on it, not hook into it. And then also to like, to not hook into the collective culture we have as a community, a world, you know, Western world community around, um, needing to fix ourselves, needing to judge judge ourselves in the mirror, needing to lose weight, you know, Mm -hmm. fix our hair, whatever it is. Like, um, the fact that you could not hook into that and to recognize your beautiful humanity, like, that's so, that's such a gift, you know, that's such a gift that yeah. you can, you don't, you're such a non-conformist. <laughs> yeah. And look, it's, it's, it's actually exactly the same in the vertigo and tinnitus world. Um, I'm not conforming to the status quo of how these patients are treated. And I'm, mm. I'm opening up a totally different conversation and treatment pathway for them through the Rocksteady program that I built and the beautiful mm. balance private therapy programs. And mm. it's, so beautiful to be on the other side and doing things differently so I guess it is a gift but it's also like I feel like I'm the lucky one to see it you know yeah so rather than rather than I suppose look at things as being them and us or being in um being like 
in a group or outside of a group. I just feel like the whole world is full of diversity and I'm fully happy to stand on my own and represent the way mm-hmm. I see it. Like I, I don't feel like I need validation from mm-hmm. other people and I give my clients full permission to step into that space too. So they really reclaim their power back and they see the world differently. They see themselves mm-hmm. differently and I back them, you know? Yeah. So yeah. it's amazing. Amazing. Thank you so much for giving us Mm. your time and sharing that beautiful heart exercise, the yes and the no. Mm. And yeah, I just think every woman who works with you is so blessed Mm. and your child is going to have a beautiful mother too. So thank you. Three of us on the call. (laughs) So it's alidreiger.com, which is A-L-L-I-E-D-R-Y-J-A. Dot com. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm Joey Remini from seekingbalance.com.au. So you can follow through links and learn more about us, which I'll, I'll add to the, to the recordings of, of this call. So I just want to say thanks again, Ali. You're a gem and I hope you have a beautiful experience in the closing moments of your pregnancy. Thank you so much. It was so wonderful to be here. Yeah, great. Bye for now. Bye.